sorry. We're going to hear the word of the Lord. Um, you can turn real quick, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to spend uh, pretty much all day. We're going to jump around from others, a couple other passages as well. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 5. Before I read, I just want to make a mention too. We are not going to move through Matthew at this pace every week, I promise. Once we get through the uh, Beatitudes, we will move a little faster because um, we're going one verse at a time. Um, but just keep that in your mind. I know it looks really depressing when you look at all of Matthew. It's like, man, it's going to take us 20 years to get through Matthew. We're not going that slow the whole time, okay? Uh, so, but Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 5. This is God's word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. God, the promise for the gentle, for those who see their bankrupted spirit, that mourn their sin, that, Lord, it creates in us, Lord, gentle souls toward you, soft hearts toward you, and, Lord, soft hearts that overflow toward one another. So, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would produce in this people, in, in our hearts particular, soft hearts, gentle hearts. Lord, you have justified, oh, blessed thought, sanctified, salvation wrought. Lord, make that all the more evident within us, we pray. Help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want to I paint us uh, a picture before we jump into the text today. Um, and I think a picture that's pretty, pretty common, at least as far as I've, I see it, at least. Uh, so Bob, so I want to present to you two men, Bob and Bill. Okay, so Bob has been in church his whole life, grew up in church, um, Grew up in church, has been there since the day he was born. But Bob, as he gets older, what ends up happening sometimes is he gets a little, what I would call it, he gets some crusties on him. His heart becomes a little harder, like barnacles on the bottom of a boat, if you would. And everybody knows in the church, well, Bob, don't mess with Bob, because Bob will, he'll blow up at you. You just be careful around Bob. Everyone, everyone needs to be on their toes around Bob, because Bob might lose his cool. But then you have somebody like Bill, that Bill didn't grow up in the church. He's, he's avoided the church actually for many, many years until the Lord really captured his heart. And now, Bill, he, he comes back to the church, and he is the most gentle. He knows. He knows who he used to be in his former life. And everybody knows, Bill. you know, Bill used to be a terrible man, but now Bill is very gentle, and he's very calm Though he used to be a man who who blow up at you at anything, now he's not that way. I want to ask us, why, why is the difference? What's the difference between these two men, Bob and Bill? And we all know character, characterizations in our mind. We probably are either Bob or Bill. 
I would argue that what ends up happening is we, we sit in church for a, a while and we, we, we start to think, well, we've, we've got this Christianity thing licked. We understand it. But what happens is we take our own natural intuitions about the Bible and about God and we just bring them and just slap them on the text. And I, I love what Dane Ortland he, he cautions us. He says, this is why we need a Bible. Our natural imita- intuition can only give us a God like us. The God revealed in Scripture deconstructs our own intuitive pre- pre- I'm not even going to try to say that word. Basically, our, our intu- intuitive inclinations and startles us with one whose infitude of perfection is matched by his infitude of gentleness. And I would argue what begins to happen in, in two people like Bob and like Bill is that Bob really begins to forget, forget where he's come from. Bob really does forget. He begins to forget the God of Scripture. He begins to forget, and he begins to think, well, I'm not as poor in spirit as I once was. Now, again, I think Bob and Bill probably, likely, are both believers. I don't want to doubt that. But there's something wrong with a community that, that has to approach a guy like Bob and says, oh, we don't want to blow, we know he's going to blow up, we need to be very careful around him. Or somebody like Bill that they know, you know, he used to be that way, but now when we approach him, he's gentle and he's tender because the Lord has worked in him. I want us to see today, this is the progression that Jesus takes. And if you're taking notes and you see them in front of you, the first two points is what we've covered the last couple weeks, which the kingdom of God is for the poor in spirit. It's for the spiritually bankrupt. And then we saw the other week that the comfort of God is for those who mourn. And I would argue today is just the natural progression of what we're talking about. The person who's bankrupt in spirit mourns their sin, and this is what God creates in them a gentleman, and not like some man with just a suit on and a top hat. I'm talking about a man or a woman who's gentle at their core. So it's gentleness, I would argue, in, in two directions, and it's, I would call it the inheritance of kings for the gentle. And, and again, I, I want us to see the inheritance of kings for the gentle. Now, this goes in two directions. It goes vertically, gentleness, this is where we start to see in the Beatitudes, it start to actually have a horizontal component. And he says that meekness or gentleness or meekness, notice what he says again in verse 5. He says, blessed are the meek or the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. That is so contrary to what our world we live in. That the gentle, that the meek, the ones who are lowly, they will inherit the earth. So I want us to see it in two directions. It happens in two directions. It happens vertically, and it happens horizontally. Let's look at the first one, vertically. So it's gentleness first toward God. And I would argue this is submission to his word. And he says again, Jesus says again, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle. So I want it, we need to deal with first what gentleness isn't before we get into what gentleness is. So gentleness is not weakness. Okay, nor is it self-assertion. I think sometimes Christianity gets a bad rap for being what some people have called impotent, being very weak. I would argue that Christianity is actually the only strong thing we have around. And actually, let me put it like this. The person who is meek is actually strong in and of themselves. We'll look at why that is. But look at the way our society functions before, I, before we go there. 
Our society functions in such a way that we have almost what I would call like an, an executive mindset. We know the successful people. Where do they dwell? They're in the top ivory towers of all the institutions. They're the executives that are well-dressed. They're strong. They're self-sufficient. They're capable. And the Bible, the message what Scripture brings us is exactly contrary. It, you basically take an executive and look at the exact opposite of them, typically, and that's what you find is what the Bible means by gentle. And you know how you know? How you, do you know how you know? And I, this is so humbling to remember. Do you know how you know if a person is gentle or not? You provoke them. Provoke them. And you see very quickly, I see this in my own soul, when I am criticized, when I am rebuked, when I am corrected, my natural inclination is to, no, that's not true. Let me self-justify. Let me assert myself. But that's not true of the gentleman. That's not true of the person who's meek in spirit. They don't do that. So what is meekness then? Okay, so it's not weakness. I don't want us to see it as weakness. And it's also not self-assertion. So what is it? I would argue that gentleness, true biblical meekness, is strength under control. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity, I'm sure most of you had, to like pet a horse, like a huge, like a real big like Clydesdale. Like a horse that if given the opportunity could drag you across the field, if given the opportunity. But when you're touching that horse, oftentimes they will be very what we call gentle or tame would be the word. A thoroughbred maybe that a child can come up and touch. And you know in any given moment if that horse wanted to, it could take off through the field dragging you right behind it. But it doesn't. Why? Because it's gentle. And, and one of the characteristics I think we forget too often that God himself is gentle. This, this blows me away. This, this continually humbles me when I consider that gentleness is strength under control. You know, Jesus, there's only one time in all the Gospels that Jesus tells us exactly what his, is in his heart. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever seen that? Matthew eleven twenty nine. what Crystal's, Crystal prayed for us today, what you heard read today, this is the one time in all the Gospels Jesus says, this is what I'm like. And you'd think it'd be like, well, he's an executive. He's like a business CEO. No, 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 no. He says, I am gentle. There it is again. I'm meek and lowly in heart. And right before this, he actually tells them, if you're labored or heavy laden, you come. You come to me. Gentleness is like approachability. You know the type of people that I'm talking about. They're very approachable because they're gentle. The grounds that he gives for why we should come to him isn't our self-worth. It isn't our status as Christians. It isn't a social institution. Jesus says, come to me because I am gentle and lowly in heart. Which is why when Christians like Bob that are known as, don't, don't rock the boat too much because he'll blow up on you. This is why they do not represent Christ when they do that, when they're like that. And you know, I hope we can all see at some level, we all have a little bit of Bob in us. We all have Bob in us at some level, don't we? But the biblical term for heart isn't just simply his physical muscle. It's not even just his emotions. The heart is the central command station for the person. And Jesus, he says, his heart is gentle toward you. 
That means that unlike what you've seen, maybe what you've seen from other Christians or from other pastors or from other teachers that maybe stand like this, Jesus stands like this. And that is fundamentally different than what we think he says. Because our natural inclination is to say, well, he's probably like me, and when he sees my sin, he probably is like like a little five-year-old with a slug. He's like, okay, uh, you can come to me, but uh, that's not what he does. He's like this. So different. Notice what he says again in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He's telling us what he's like. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. So that's all those who strive and all those who have burdens on your back. And he says, I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And there's the reason again, for he's gentle and lowly in heart. Now, again, we mentioned this the other week, but I'll mention it again. A yoke is something that you'd have with like two oxen being pulled with, with a team of oxen. A yoke was what was, would bind them together. And he's saying that the yoke that he's putting on his followers is one that is easy and light. And typically what would often happen with two, like a, a yoke of oxen that are, are walking is they'd put a, a, a younger oxen with an older one so that the older one would bear the weight. And that's what he says. That's what he says. That's, what he, that's what's in his heart. But what makes a person meek? Why is Jesus meek? Why do we say, like, Jesus, he's gentle? What gives him the strength under control? You know, this is where me and, me and you are different than he is. Because when he, he himself was like that thoroughbred that's strong, me and you aren't. So where does the strength come from? I thought R. Kent Hughes, I thought he put this really well. He says, there's a scene in the Gospels, and you know this scene. It's the scene of Jesus standing before Pilate. And in that moment, you have Jesus standing Standing before Pilate, Pilate is one of the strongest men in all the world at that time. Was the head of, head of the Roman power, strongest earthly powers. And Jesus appeared to be the height of weakness and frailness and inability. But this is where gentleness comes in, doesn't it? Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the weak man, was the most powerful of all. As accusations came at him over and over and over again, did he retaliate? No. But then there's Pilate, who's literally a a prisoner to himself. He's He's so captive to his own pride, he can't even control his own being. But Jesus, he's strong in himself, and yet entrusted him to his heavenly Father. This is where me and you are different than Jesus. We don't have strength in and of ourselves. Our strength doesn't come from within us. Our strength comes from trusting Him. A Christian is able to be gentle because they're able to entrust themselves to God. Christian, brother, sister, are you gentle? And again, I I don't want us to sit and we we can sit and look at a guy like Bob and a guy like Bill and be like, oh, Bob, he's not a believer. maybe, Maybe look in your own soul and say, I'm not gentle. But our salvation isn't dependent upon being gentle enough. But if a person were to fill out a characteristic of you, would gentleness be one of them? I love what MLJ, Martin Lloyd-Jones, says about this. He says, the man who is truly meek, or the man who is truly gentle, is the man who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do, 
and treat him as well as they do. Gentleness that comes by faith from trusting Christ for salvation. The Christian doesn't just conjure up gentleness. It's something that is a natural byproduct of the brokenness of spirit and the mourning for sin. Which creates then, this is the third piece, the gentleness is the fragrance of the Christian life. And yes, fragrance, that, that might be hard to see. So if you don't know how to spell that, I'm sorry. Forgive, forgive me. It's, that's tough to see up here. Gentleness, though, is the fragrance of the Christian life. The Christian is gentle because the Christian has been lowered in spirit. The Christian is gentle because the Christian has mourned their sin. Then the Christian, after they have mourned their sin and, and see their spiritual bankruptcy, they're able to do what we see here quoted from Jesus, which is, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, this is a direct quote. This is very important to know. Verse 5 is almost a direct quote from Psalm 37, which is what we've heard twice read today, actually. Psalm 37, 1 through 2. This is what David's continually saying. He's worried about being an evildoer. He's, he's seeing the evildoers are, are, are prospering, and the righteous are, are, um, are perishing. This is what he notices. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. David's struggling between what he sees and what he believes. But he believes that the righteous will be truly blessed. Now, notice, when, if you, maybe even turn there actually to Psalm 37, because we'll be back and forth there between Psalm 37 and Matthew 5. But he says in verse 10 and 11, which is really important, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. You know why? Because the righteous are the ones who trust Christ. Because the righteous ones are the ones who are trusting God and his provision. But you know, non, if, you're, if you're not a Christian sitting here today, and you're sitting here and you know I'm, you're not trusting Christ, you know, nobody likes to be categorized as wicked. When I, when I say somebody's wicked, we're like, oh, we don't like hearing that even. But non-Christian, if you're not clinging to Christ today, may I just say of you that you're one of the wicked ones? We don't like hearing that. We don't even like how that makes us feel. Even hearing me say that, you don't like how that sounds, do you? But the reality of the cross reveals that you, we were all once in the camp of wicked ones, weren't we? We were all in the camp at one point or another of the people who will perish in the land. But if you're sitting here today and you're still refusing to trust Christ, may I just say of you, you're still within the camp of the wicked. And may I just say, hear again the word of the Lord, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. They will be no more. And we need to take heed at that. But the righteous, on the other hand, it isn't because they are better people. It's because they're trusting in Christ. The righteous, those who are righteous, is because of faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are righteous are declared righteous in Jesus Christ. They entrust themselves, their enemies even, to the Lord. And what they get is a gentle spirit. And what they end up getting, though they have nothing, is inheriting everything. 
though they have nothing, they know that in, by trusting Christ, the gentle inherit the land because they cling to Christ. Church, I have a question for us, and we, I don't need you to answer it. But who are we trusting to defend our cause? Who are we trusting to defend our cause? I sit in too many online forums and hear far too much bantering. That'd be the word I would want to use. That sure seems like, in a lot of ways, we don't trust that the Lord is going to defend us. Jesus promised that he would build his body. He promised it so much so, actually, that the gates of hell wouldn't overcome it. So much so that Paul could write in 2 Corinthians, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in the triumphal procession. Now, a triumphal procession, just so you're aware, is actually what the king would do with his prisoners, his captives. And that's what he's doing with me and you. He's leading us in the triumphal procession. But I'm fearful that many Christians are out in front of the triumphal procession saying, we need to obtain this. Hear us. Hear what we're saying. But it's through us. Go back to what Paul's saying. He leads us in the triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. You know, our gentleness... Our reasonableness as Christians is a reminder to the world around us that God is near. Did you know that? Not only is he near, but we're trusting him to come, come along and fulfill his promises. So I want us to see finally, gentleness toward God is gentleness is submission to the word. It's submission to the word. And he says again, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. I want you to picture with me in your brain a raging, raging sea. You can all picture it with me. The raging sea represents the heart of every human, especially before coming to Christ. Before God has changed the heart of the Christian, they cast forth anger and rage and wrath Like a sea billows forth foam. They toss to and fro. But the Christian, the Christian that has had poverty of spirit, a mournful brokenness over his own sin, you know what it does to that raging sea? Like Jesus speaks out over the waters, peace, be still. The calamity that once was between God and man no longer exists. And the fruit of this peace is the gentleness of the Spirit, that God works it within us. The meek are those who, as James says in another place, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's like he's saying the anger of man only just causes the sea to rage and roar. And I'm fearful that many, many, in many, many churches, when the world comes in, they look around and see that the church doesn't look any different than the world. Because the world knows this. 
The world knows that the ang- anger, they walk into their place of business and they know there's people you have to tiptoe around. And it's a very shame when the, when the church is marked by chaos and confusion, just like the rest of the world. The way of our former life was marked with filthiness and rampant wickedness. But notice what James goes on to say. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. And receive with meekness, with gentleness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You know, week after week after week after week, we come and we hear God's word. Because we believe that God's word works within the Christian. That all of us, oftentimes, I think, and I'll speak for my own self, I walk through those doors, and before I even come to the word myself, my soul, I can feel it, becomes like that raging sea again. But what the word does is just like the first time when Jesus said, peace, be still. That's That's what the word of God does for us. It's not just for some Christians. It's for all Christians. And I give that example at the beginning about Bob and Bill because I'm afraid that too often people like Bob stop heeding the word. James will go on to ask, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness, the gentleness of wisdom. And this comes from the Spirit. We know this. The fruits of the Spirit, we see this in another place. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There it is again. Meekness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You know, these aren't special giftings. Brother, Christian, friend. They're not special giftings for some. They're the fruit of the Spirit in all. All right, so that's gentleness toward God. I want us to consider just the remainder of our time. We'll look at gentleness toward man, which I also have entitled there, uh, Conquering with Gentlemen. That's how God does this. He's conquering with gentlemen. And again, we need to see what, what we first mean by gentleness toward others. Now, the first two, I want you to just a reminder, verses 3 and verses 4 of chapter 5 really don't have anything to do with other people. They actually don't even manifest themselves to other people necessarily. They, they start within us and move outward. But gentleness starts to move outward, doesn't it? Gentleness, I want to see what it, what it first is not, and then we'll look at what it is. Gentleness is not being a doormat. Now, a doormat truly is only used to wipe your feet before you walk in the building. People have often accused Christians as being doormats. And that's actually not what Christians are. They're not meant to be doormats. Doormats get walked on. But at the same time, Christians are gentle. I love what one definition said very helpfully. That the humble and gentle attitude which expresses itself in a patient submissiveness to offense free from malice and desire for revenge. We're not doormats. But when we do get stepped on, what do we do in response? That's where gentleness becomes, becomes a problem or maybe, maybe becomes a reality that's not there. I want us to see what gentleness is. And we'll spend the rest of our time looking at this toward man. 
Okay, gentleness is first, bold in correcting error. You know, those two, two things seem very contrary, don't they? That gentleness and boldness seem like they're opposed to each other, actually. But the Christian can be bold toward others in correcting error. So take that doormat. You get stepped on. Gentleness does, just like love does, it does one of two things. It either covers the offense or it corrects the offense. That's all that it can do. And I want us to see first that gentleness is bold in correcting error. Now, Numbers, in the book of Numbers, we see actually a, a brilliant example of a, of a man who is very meek. Actually, Numbers 12, 3 says that Moses was the meekest man in all the land. Now, Moses was very meek, or he's very gentle, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Think about that. Of all the people that lived on the face of the earth at the time that Moses lived, Moses was the most, bold, was the most meek of all of them. But you also know that Moses was the same man who would stand before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the whole world at the time, and say, let my people go. How can he hold the two together? I thought you, I thought you said he's gentle. How can he be bold and gentle at the same time? I would argue that gentleness is able to be bold because it trusts the promises of God. A person can be gentle and bold because they rely on the Lord to defend them. I want to give you just one example in, in Moses' life. You know, there comes a point in the book of Exodus where they run out of water. They're wandering in the wilderness. They've been in the wilderness actually three days. And they're like, man, Lord, we're really thirsty. Give us water. Moses, why did you bring us out here? You're going to bring us out here to die. And God tells them, behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come from it, and the people shall, will drink. And Moses did so. With great power, he led the people of Israel through the wilderness, providing water, providing food on the Lord's behalf. But then there's a scene later on in the book of Numbers where the people, again, are whining and complaining and grumbling. Numbers 20, verse 2 says, Now there was no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves against Moses. Basically, they started a riot. They started a riot against Moses and Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? You can hear how even much they're exaggerating. We and our cattle, we're all going to die. Why have you made us come out out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? And the Lord hears their cry again. And he says to Moses again, Take the staff, verse 8, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Now notice the difference. The first time he tells him, strike the rock. This time he tells him, just go and speak to the rock. And the the rock will yield water, verse 8. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation. But if you remember what happens, Moses doesn't go and speak to the rock, does he? He goes to the rock, and he's frustrated. He's angry. He's annoyed. He is provoked within himself. All this grumbling, I've been with you all for 40 years. God's provided food and water. Can't you get it right? And he goes, 
And this, this is what Moses, it says. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now. Now notice what he says. He doesn't say, you sweetie pies. He says, hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drink, drank them and their livestock. You notice what happened there? The same man who's bold before Pharaoh. God, God blesses them. They send the people out. He trusts them. Or he trusts the Lord. But here he's not being bold, is he? Or he's being bold, but he's being not meek. He's being arrogant. He was bold as a lion, yet arrogant before the people and before God. It's possible for Moses to be bold and yet not gentle. And listen to what the Lord says of him. He says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land. So notice, pride, arrogance, leads to a rejection. He, the Lord says, you will not lead this people into the land. It's boldness from oneself. It's boldness when we're talking about boldness and gentleness, it must be boldness to the Word of God, in the Word of God. It's boldness that springs from standing upon the promises of God. And brother and sister, you know why this matters for us? It matters for us very much so. It matters for us because I can guarantee you, I will promise you actually, you will offend one another. It's not if you'll offend each other, it's when you will be offended. And when we offend one another, we need to do one of two things. We need to either in boldness, in gentleness, correct the offense, or we need to do, do the thing we'll look at here in a second, which is to cover the offense. So the question for us, when you're offended, is will we show gentleness to one another like Christ has shown us in the gospel? Gentleness is, it happens in boldly correcting error. Or will we do the, uh, the latter, which is gentleness is the tenor of our warfare, which I would call it covering. So it's either correcting or it's covering. Now there's a dynamic in Scripture that you're probably wondering, at least, in your brain. Daniel, aren't we, supposed, aren't we called to fight? Aren't we called to warfare? How can we be gentle in battle? 1 Timothy 8, 1.18 says, wage the good warfare. Or 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. It seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Gently fight one another. <laughs> Gently fight the world. Luther, I think, helpfully said, God has promised great mercy to those who seek peace and endure guile or mistreatment. War does not gain much, but loses much and risks everything. Gentleness, however, loses nothing, risks little, and gains everything. To make war as a Christian is to fight as Christ has taught us to fight. When God goes to war against the world, He both punishes sin and He forgives. Both happen. He punishes sin in the death of His Son as well as forgiving all those who come to Christ in gentleness. You know, how can, we see places like, let me give you just an example. 2 Corinthians 10, we see this again. Notice the language he even talks about here. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power as they destroy strongholds. Now notice even the the battle-like language, the military language. He goes on to say, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Boy, that doesn't sound very gentle, does it? He goes on, he says, And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And you may have wondered, man, that's some, that's some serious war-like language. But don't miss the first verse. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Wage war. <laughs> that is a contradiction. Seems like it. Seeming contradiction. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, wage war. <laughs> How is the Christian to wage war meekly? And I would argue we as Christians wage war meekly when we are wronged, when we are stepped on, we cover the offense. We refuse to bring it up to anybody. And if we're willing to bring it up to them, we bring it up to them. The Christian fights, beating into submission his own passions under the rule and reign of Christ. The Christian's warfare is against sin and corruption, but the gentle Christian knows he must first beat his own sin. Before he gets all riled up, he knows that he must cover every offense that's given toward him. But what's the result in this? I want us to notice the result in this. This is how God wins the world. It's amazing, actually, which is the last piece, is gentleness results in world conquest. You know, this is the complete opposite picture that history has always presented to us. The conqueror is the one who wins, right? No. According to Scripture, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle. Psalm 37, 11, again. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance of peace. Or again, Psalm 37, same place, different verse. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The concern is over what is observed to what is believed. And he's saying that we need to, as Christians and as believers, we need to believe what we don't see from day to day. You know, our, as Christians, this year's an election year. This year's a year where we're going to hear two angry parties stand up and yell at one another. And what we as Christians need to be is as other people fight like the rest of the world carnally, we don't wage warfare like the world does. We wage warfare with gentleness. Covering sin and confronting sin. But have you ever considered that the, what could the world do to a gentle person? Have you ever wondered this? If we are first broken in spirit before God, mourning our sin before God, and gentle before God, what on earth could the world do to us? What could they do? As Psalm 8, 2 says, Through the praise of infants and children, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. 
Brother and sister, in an election year, what me and you need is we need gentleness. Gentleness and meekness in spirit toward one another and to a watching world. Because that's how God defeats his enemies. He defeats his enemies not, not in the way that you think he will. Though one day he will come and execute vengeance. The way of prospering, as Psalm 30, 37 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When a person delights himself in the Lord, the Lord gives us the desires of our heart, which are more of himself. It's more of himself, and when a person is delighting in the Lord in this manner, they become blessed because they receive from the Lord. So, brother and sister, I don't know what you're going through today, but know this. If you're taking notes, see this at the very end. A mournful, spiritually bankrupt person becomes gentle toward God and man, and this emanates into a life that conquers the world through humble submission. We need to believe as brothers and sisters and as Christians that God does not wage war in the same way that we do. Where, where the world would tell us, let's retaliate, let's fight back. The scriptures instruct us, gentleness toward God, gentleness toward man is how we win the world. So go out and fight this week. Go fight win. In the words of Notre Dame, go fight win. But go fight win according to what Christ says to go fight win with. So when you're wronged, cover it. Because you've been covered. When you're wronged, when you're stepped on, either cover it or correct it. Go correct the evil in gentleness or go cover the evil because it's in the glory, it's in, in, when, we cover, when we cover another sin, it's, a, it's our glory to cover an offense. So brothers and sisters, may we do that. May we walk as Christians, even this week, in this way. I'm going to take a minute, I want to pray for us. But before I do, I just want to encourage us to consider our own walk. I want us to consider that question I asked at the very beginning. Would, would other people, not you, but would other people describe you as gentle? Would other people, would they look at you, not just in your disposition naturally, but would they say, you know, Daniel, I'll speak for myself, Daniel is known as one who's poor before the Lord. You know, when I I bring something, and I'm reminded of this so often, I love it when I get criticism in this way. I love it. I'm so grateful for it because God reminds me of how not poor in spirit I am. And in those moments, when when people criticize you, even this coming week, may you come back and remember who you are in Christ. So I just wanted to take take a minute. I want you to seek the Lord here in this moment. Um, Yeah, and I just want to give you a minute. I'm going to pray for us.